Brief History of Mesopotamia, Old Babylon, 2000 to 1600 BCE, Part 1. Babylon is one of the most famous cities of the ancient world, where places like Akkad, Kish, and Lagash are known almost, almost exclusively to academics. With a few other Mesopotamian cities mentioned in the Old Testament, Babylon has secured a long-term position in the human imagination. Even those who don't know when Babylon flourished, or for that matter, even why it was significant, most recognize the name. Babylon may have received its name from Babylu, the gate of God. It is a city of biblical infamy, known for the exile of the Jews, described as, quote, mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth, end of quote, Revelation 17, 5. It is remembered by the Greeks as a city like any other, but the Rust by the Rastafarians as the ultimate symbol of oppression of the black people, and by the British of the Victorian era as one of the most magnificent cities in the ancient history. It is remembered differently by different people, but there is no doubt it is remembered. The trouble with Babylon is much of its history can't be studied in archaeological sources. In the time since the old Babylonian Empire, the water table has risen to the point preventing excavation beyond the later period of its occupation. The Babylon of King Hammurabi is lost to us, and possibly forever. Even so, we have enough information from the surrounding cities and later periods to build a detailed picture of what Babylon may have been like. Babylon was founded by the Amorites, those who had invaded Neo-Sumerian Empire from the west at the end of the last reign of Ur. In this sense, they represent a continuation of an old pattern, the crumbling of the old Mesopotamian centers of power, the occupation by external forces. However, unlike the Gudi of times past, the Amorites recognized the benefit in continuing the traditions and practices of the Sumerian culture that preceded them. As such, they were well positioned to form a new and dominant power in the region. Of course, this did not happen overnight. For several centuries following the fall of the Neo-Sumerian Empire, Westerners poured in the Mesopotamia. In Akkadian, they were called the Amaru, but they did not all come from the same location being made up of at least two distinct Semitic peoples. In addition, there were also foreigners entering the region from the north and the east. Power bases were established and collapsed. Cities rose and fell, fighting for domination between the two great rivers. Chaos reigned. Some cities had three, four kings in a single year. Monarchs would emerge as if from the earth, only to return to it no less swiftly. One interesting story tells of King Ira Imiti of Isin, who, fearing bad omens, placed the gardener in Leobani on the throne with the intention that the gardener should suffer whatever fate had in store. In Leobani was to be removed from the throne and killed when the period of misfortune had passed. Instead, King Ira Imudi himself died and in Leobani refused to relinquish his power. He ruled for almost 25 years, making him one of the longest reigning monarchs of this period. We have unique insight into this period through the documents uncovered in Mari, a city captured by Hammurabi of Babylon before he established his empire. Thousands of clay tablets were uncovered, offering a glimpse of the thought processes and personal personalities of the leaders of the time. One such man was Zimri Lim of Mari, whose writing shows us a man with a witty personality, a tendency to use of proverbs, and special and social references as opposed to outright crude humor. He was also a man with a vain streak, harassing servants for specific garments and fabrics, angered when his desires were not entertained. 
He was curious, traveling at length to neighboring regions, and was active in diplomacy and government affairs. Most significantly, however, Zimri Lim of Mari was a pious man, who with love of the gods and for religious festivals, and a keen interest in any signals the gods may have sent down to his realm. This is just a small taste of the wealth of information that preserved tablets had to offer. Written largely informally, we can learn not merely of these people's day-to-day lives, but their thoughts, feelings, vices, and values. It was following the collapse of of Mira, however, and presumably the death of Zimri Lim, that the great state revealed itself. Hammurabi, best known for his code of laws, was the sixth king in the first dynasty of Babylon, but was to become the first king to rule over a Babylonian empire proper, following his conquest of southern Mesopotamia. As such, it was the old Babylonian era, led into glory and posterity by King Hammurabi, that emerged from the ruins left by the third dynasty of Ur. Of course, it's his law code. The code of laws attributed to Hammurabi was not found in Babylon, but in the city of Susa. Upon the document, the king is shown to be receiving the laws from the god Shamesh, whom to the Sumerians had been the sun god Utu, brother of Inanna. It begins with a preamble explaining the purpose of the document and proclaiming Hammurabi's greatness, who, like a father, gave his people their birth. It is not a code of laws in a modern sense, rather a list of model cases, likely either drawn from real life or fabricated examples of crimes covering upwards of 280 judgments. Even commodities, prices, wages, and family law, including marriage, divorce, and incest, are included in the code. Considering our perspective on the ancient past, we may find some of Hammurabi's codes to seem quite progressive, especially regarding women. If a man wished to separate from a woman who has borne him children, he shall give that wife his or her dowry and a part of the income from the field, the garden, and property, so that she rear her children. She may then marry the man of her heart. If a woman quarrel with her husband and says, You are not congenial to me, the reasons for her prejudice must be presented. If she is guiltless, but he leaves and neglects her, then no guilt attaches to this woman. She shall take her dowry and go back to her father's house. Hammurabi's laws differed from those of Ur-Namu in that retribution is more obviously on display. Where Ur-Namu's laws proclaim fines for various amounts of most crimes, Hammurabi has a more direct eye-for-an-eye approach to punishment. Quite literally, quote, If a man has destroyed the sight of another similar person, they shall destroy his sight. If he has broken another man's bone, they shall break his. Some of these punishments may come across as extreme, but at the same time they were effective as universal punishments. Babylon was a multi-ethnic society, differing enormously from the Sumer and Akkad of old, where most members of society belong to a single cultural identity or several similar subcultures. Value systems differed between cultural groups, and as such, the subtlety of traditional culture, cultural punishments would not have been effective, and an easy-to-understand code of laws was required, where some people may not understand the idea of paying a fine for causing physical harm. The philosophy of an eye for an eye is simple to grasp, no matter where you are from. Now, next time, we'll look at this new society that is created. Now, the sources for this... The Ancient Semitic Civilization by Muscati, The Ancient Near East by Cyrus Gordon, Mesopotamia, Assyrians, Sumerians, Babylonians, Dictionaries of Civilization, and The Oxford History of the Biblical World by Coogan.
So I hope you enjoyed that. And as always, don't forget to come by the website, summahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise. And if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.